Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to look at a couple of passages in Genesis. Verse 9 says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow from the soil. Every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were in the middle of the orchard. I'm reading from the New International Translation. New English Translation rather. In the Net Bible. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. Then the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat from every tree of the orchard. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. But the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind had become great on the earth. Every inclination of their thoughts and minds of their minds was only evil all the time. When we hear that word evil mentioned, a lot of things come to mind, doesn't it? We think of Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, perhaps Rwanda, probably a sadistic serial killer or mother who murders her own children. The killing fields, the concentration camps. Gang violence, drive-by shootings that we're now seeing on a regular basis now. Rape, shocking abuse. All images of evil all around us. You turn on the television, that's all you see. You read the newspaper, violence, evil, it's all around us. And there's no doubt that these things, these actions are evil. But have you ever considered that evil can also be anything that is against God? Anything that goes against God's word and his will? Now we may not think of ourselves as, as evil. Sinners, yes. But sinners redeemed by a loving and caring God. But have you ever thought about some of the things that we do? We do a lot of things. And do we often think about some of those things that we do? Do our actions and our mindsets line up with the precepts of God? Do we model the character and the fruit to which we are called? Have you considered that if we don't, we are being evil? We may not be murderers, or we may not be murdering others or causing genocide. But when we, can't, when we afflict others, and cause harm and actions by our, harm by our actions or inactions to do anything about it. We are in God's eyes and revealed, as revealed by God's word, being evil. Plain and simple. You see, we may see sin as anything that goes against God. Anything that goes against God's will and His word and His purpose. And then we see evil and we see that as much worse than sin. But you know what? God sees both as one and the same. Sin, evil, they're all the same as far as God's concerned. Now, they may be varying degrees. A person may, uh, uh, you may look at a person who steals uh, to food to, to, to satisfy hunger. And that can't compare with the exploits of Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden. But as far as God is concerned, it's rebellion against God. And rebellion is sin. And sin produces evil. But have you also ever considered or wondered if the people do evil, know they're evil. 
Those persons who do evil deeds, do you think they know they're doing evil? Or that they are being evil? After all, human beings can easily be self-absorbed and rationalize just about anything. What about that renegade lawyer who goes too far in his defense of a criminal? The question is, when I, when I want to do something that I know I should not do or cannot do, am I being evil? What is evil? The question we must ask ourselves when we do these things that we do. Are we being evil? What is evil? And what am I doing about it? Well, exegetical research revealed that the degree of separation a Christian who sins and a person who does evil is that the person who does evil does not care. And we see it all the time in the violence and the crime all around us. But the person who sins and is convicted that it is wrong often repents. The evil person does not care and is not convicted or even broken. They just go and do the same thing over and over again. When David sinned by having Uriah murdered, it was evil, pure and simple, no doubt about it. However, David was convicted of his sin and he had remorse. And as a result, the Bible tells us that he repented. When we read this 32nd uh, chapter of Psalms, we read, uh, David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. David acknowledged his evil deeds and repented. Here's a point to ponder. If you sin and do not care or have remorse, then you have a problem with evil. If you sin and do not repent or have remorse, you have a problem with evil. And you're no different from the people that have been described in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. Where we read, In those days there was no king in Israel, therefore everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You are in the same grouping with those people. If you do not care, if you sin and do not care or have remorse. Now it's a popular misconception today that humans are basically good. That's a very popular misconception. Spend some time at any two-year-old and you'll begin to see very quickly that, that, that the sinful nature is on the forefront, not goodness. Yes, they may be cute and cuddly and all that. But no! And disobedience is the order of the day with two-year-olds. All the time. That tells us about the sin nature. The sin nature is evident in a child as small as a two-year-old. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 God has a lot to say about the matter of evil. Human, He says the human mind is more deceitful than anything else. It is incurably bad. Who can understand it? That's a picture of evil. 
Titus 1.15 says, All is pure to those who are pure, but to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Picture of evil. See, the uniqueness of our humanity is that we do not need to learn how to be bad at stuff. No one needs to teach us that. We are naturally good at hating and seeking evil. Just like the two-year-old who comes to us and doesn't know how to behave. It's part and parcel of our sin nature. Galatians chapter 5 describe the filthy works of evil that we need to go or get beyond in our lives. Notice what he says. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I am warning you, as I have warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't that clear? It's clear, isn't it? God has given us a description of what evil deeds look like. We have to realize that the necessity of the cross for our lives is consistent. It's for our daily lives. The importance, it's not just for salvation. It's important for living daily in our goings and comings. We are, we are not basically good. We are foundationally evil. Fallen, corrupted, infused by sin. What Christ did for us on the cross makes us willing to learn to apply the fruit of the Spirit to our lives in a consistent basis so that we will continue to walk in the truth and not according to the evil deeds that we see all around us. But not only must we ask the question, why does God allow evil? We must also ask the question, what really is evil? What is evil? We have had some descriptions of it from our word, from the word of God. But in a variety of religious and secular circles, evil is described, is described as vice. And we see when we look at the, the, the police departments around the world, many of them have a, a vice squad set up. Or a, a, a vice unit. Vice means being depraved. It means morally objectionable. It brings about harm, destruction, and misfortune to others by direct action or inaction by the person behind it. When we come to classical Christian thinking, evil is anything that is not of God. Not something to think about. Anything that is not of God. How many times do we go through the day and we do things that are not of God? Things that will not glorify the triune God. In classical Christian thinking, that is considered evil. From a biblical theological perspective, evil is sin. But it's also a form of adultery. It is adultery against God caused by our willful and moral rebellion against God. It is literally cheating on God. That's what it is. Cheating on God with our desires, our lust, and our sins. It is neglecting what He has called us to and what He has planned for our lives. 
It is humans seeking that which is contrary to his will, such as hatred and narrow-mindedness. That's evil. Now, there are two kinds of evil, main kinds of evil. One is what is called natural evil. And this comes in the form of natural disasters, storms and hurricanes and floods and tsunamis and whatever. But then, the, and th- these are brought about by the, by the impact of sin on the world. Sin, the corruption of sin on the world. But then there is moral evil, such as murder and adultery and idolatry and sexual abuse. However, many theologians say there is only one. That is moral evil because natural evil comes from moral evil. Because of the original sin that affects both creation, both the whole of creation, both people and planets. But evil is the result of Adam's sin coming into the world, allowing these things to happen, to flesh out the evil that we see all around us. But you know what? While sin is rebellion against God and spiritual betrayal and being disobedient, we are still not as bad as we could be. Could be a lot worse. We are not utterly depraved because we have what is my, what you might be call what you might call civil good, means that uh, we are capable of doing good works, primarily because we have a conscience, even though we are corrupted by sin. So we're not all that bad, but there is still evil. What is evil? Evil means wickedness, which goes much farther than sin. It means having malicious and spiteful desires. It means having a malicious and spiteful desire to hurt those around us. It comes from the exploits of the self-absorbed mindset of the person who has no regard for others and no fear of God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We see it all around us. Every day. Listen to how God describes it. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10 through 18. Just as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. Their throats are open graves. They deceive with their tongues. The poison of asps is under their lips. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they have not known. But verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Sounds familiar? We see it all the time. An individual drives by and takes someone's life out. Evil is badness, cruelty, ruthlessness, depravity, debauchery, immorality. Evil is just plain out of control. Evil is being mercilessness, dishonest in our dealings with others. Evil is being merely, uh, is not merely a psychological disorder such as being a sociopath. It is a condition of the soul. And Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32. Read it sometime. Evil is an act of playing God and being self-absorbed, self-indulgent, and going so far as thinking that we have the final authority and then acting out of it 
in spite. That's what evil is. Evil is forgetting that God is the only final authority. We have to realize that our lives are far better off in the arms of God's love and care than with our whims and limited ideas. Otherwise, we're going to be susceptible to the evil around us. Evil is man being so arrogant that he ignores God, his love and his plan. And many are doing that today. To ignore what Christ has done is considered evil. Both for the Christian as well as the non-Christian. We have the ability to ignore the heart of the cross. But we do not have the right to ignore God. And this includes ignoring what Jesus Christ has done on the cross by his finished work. But the question we must also ask, not only is what is evil, but where does it come from? Where does evil come from? Well, evil stemmed from Satan and his rebellion against God. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read the, the four I wills that birthed evil. Listen to what Isaiah says. How you have fallen, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Those are the five I wills that birthed evil, as we see it in the world today. But it was, it was continued, and it is continued, through humanity. Matthew says, But the things that come out of the mouth, come from the heart. And these things defile a person. For out of the heart come evil ideas, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False testimony, slander. This is a description of evil. Prior to the fall, man lived in total paradise. But it's rebellion against God that has caused sin to enter and corrupt every single thing that we have in our world today. We turned against God and hated Him and pursued our own ideas in destructive endeavors against His will. We've done that. And we are doing that. We look at Genesis chapter 1, and we see the picture of that, the reality of that. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 17, we read, but, but to Adam he said, Because you obeyed your wife, and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, thanks to you. In painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. But you will eat the grain of the field. Sin is a continuing of the rebellion against God and His created order. All have fallen short of God's standards. Charles Spurgeon once said, Whole evil is in man, and whole man is in evil. And how true were those words. Sin has affected all of our being and the entire world. And evil has come about as a result of that. Even if we have not committed any evil, it is still our nature to do so. It all comes down to this. We have all sinned, some more than others. 
But the smallest sin falls way short of God's requirements. And this is what has been described as total depravity and original sin. That's what it's all about. As humans, we choose to fall away from God and His perfection. God desires for us to live in the best way possible and to experience the most out of life. God wants us to have happiness and joy. That's God's desire for every single human being upon the face of the earth. Yet we live in a world corrupted by sin. So everything is degraded. Man, land, animals, the air, everything is touched and infused by sin. Thus the consequences of that fallen nature impact everything. Yet even in this corrupted and tainted world, including our sinful selves, we have a God who offers love and grace. If only we would reach out and respond to Him and receive it. This is the way God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word of God. However, since we could not respond to Christ, Christ lived as we should have. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 In our place, he took our sins to the grave and rose again to give us eternal hope and eternal life. Peter says, because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God by being put to death in the flesh, but by being made alive in the spirit. Even with the grace option offered to us, that we always have, which is written upon our hearts, we still choose to rebel against God. Proverbs the writer of Proverbs says, There is a way that seems right to, to a person, but its end leads to the way of death. And Isaiah puts it another way. Isaiah 55, uh, Isaiah 59. He says, But your sinful acts have alienated you from God. Your sins have caused Him to reject you, and get this, and not listen to your prayers. Wonder why all those prayers were going so unanswered? Here's the reason why. Your sins have caused them to reject you and not listen to your prayers. See, man chooses to take God's wonder, God's love and God's truth and trade it in for lies, the lies of the deceiver. Man decides to suppress God's truth and love and, and when it all falls apart, he blames God and others rather than taking responsibility for himself. We have no excuse. God's revelation is clear. It is filled with our best in mind and powered by his desire to see men saved and have eternal life. So what do we do? It's plain and simple. We turn from our evil ways before we end up giving up ourselves entirely to such desires and experiencing pleasure just for a short time. But it will all lead to everlasting regret 
and torment. We turn. We simply turn from our evil. It's like a parent who lets their child loose to run wild in a candy store until the child gets deathly sick. And then they wonder, what are we going to do? Well, we have, to, we have the choice to realize that sin makes us sick. It makes us sick. And thus, it is meaningless. Therefore, we can either stop or we can keep at it until it kills us. Your choice. Evil is this. Evil is knowing when it is bad, yet continuing in it. And thinking, oh, what harm will it bring to others? That's what evil is. Remember, we don't deserve God's love and grace. But he gives it to us anyway. That's God. That's his nature. That's his character. But not only must we ask why God allows evil, but we must also ask what causes it. Our human nature loves the competition. Our human nature loves to pick a fight. But God has a higher call for us. James takes us directly to the root cause of sin and evil. He says it comes from one source. The conflict that resides in our own hearts. Our desires are at war with the precepts and the call of God. God's word. And for the Christian, this is the war be between the good and evil of man versus the holiness of God. It is a war between uh, the new life of Christ and the old sinful nature. These desires come together and they conflict with the desires of other people. And then they escalate into interpersonal conflict and sin. And there is no, there's no remorse against those who are affected. And so there is a problem with evil. It's a reality. We all know it because we've all experienced it at one time or another. But a problem arises in the field of theology and philosophy when it comes to evil. The question arises, if God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, why does he permit evil? Not only why does he permit evil, but why does he permit the suffering that evil causes in the world? Why won't, just, why won't God just put a stop to it once and for all? That's a question that comes in all of our minds when we look and we see and we witness the depravity of evil all around us. But this issue attacks the sovereignty of God. And the answers are not easy because the Bible doesn't give us a direct answer. Nor does God need to justify His actions. Because when we come to these issues, we come to these issues only with human reasoning. What we need to do is come to these, these issues in the parameters of God's concepts, not in human reasoning. And as a result of coming in human reasoning, we can't understand why these things are happening. Why does He do it? Why does He allow it? The issue has been, been debated for as long as theological and philosophical thinking has been around. It's been around for a long time. But the secular response to evil is that God is either not omnipotent, He's not all-powerful, and therefore He cannot stop it, or that He's not loving, and therefore He will not stop it. To answer these objections, we need to go beyond the pain and the critical questions that plague our minds when things happen to us. We need to acknowledge 
God in all of his sovereignty in order to have some peace with the evil that perpetuate our lives on a consistent basis. God's reason for allowing evil to exist are beyond the ability of our comprehension. We can't understand it. Isaiah describes it this way. Isaiah says, indeed my plans are not your plans. My deeds are not your deeds. For just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds, and my plans superior to your plans. Remember, God does not create evil. Evil is our rebellion against God. It is our saying to God, forget you, I'll do whatever I feel like doing. And then, if He loves us, and we have free will, and He will allow our free will. If He loves us, He just allows us to do what we want to do. And He does, because we have free will. But you may ask, what about the innocent? What about innocent people? What about the woman who is raped, or the baby who dies? What about the 150,000 tsunami victims? What about the more than 2,000 victims of the World Trade Center? What about them? Well, here's another point to ponder. We have to realize that all of our suffering is the result of human sin. Plain and simple. We tend to think of those who are victims as being innocent. And in some respects they are. However, biblical theology tells us that no one is truly innocent. That's what the Bible says. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. No one is truly innocent. The evil we experience is the direct result of our sin. The Bible tells us that whatever a person sows, he will reap. May not be in your generation, but one further back. We can take comfort, however, in the fact that God is still sovereign. That's the consolation that we face. God is still sovereign. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. Even in the midst of dire circumstances, whether we can see them or understand them or not. God is sovereign. Doesn't matter, you don't understand it. Consider what the world would be like if God did do away with evil. Have you ever thought about that? What if we lived in a world where there was no evil? What would really happen? Something to think about. There would be no maturity. There would be no character. No virtue. No spiritual growth. Since adversity is a necessity for real growth. There would be no growth. Without an adversary we have nothing to strive against or climb. To increase our spiritual formation. Our struggles, we need to realize, produces Patience through tribulation, not without it. God is still in the world, and He's using the world and its failures for His glory and for the benefit of those who will listen to Him, listen to His Word, and apply His Word to their lives. Our struggles help also in pointing us to living a life of faith rather than by sight. So what would happen? Stopping evil? would mean stopping the exercise of free will and moral destiny. Do you really want that? Stop
stopping evil will make us mere appliances of God without freedom. Boy, do we love our freedom. You don't want that, don't you? Stopping evil would make us pre-programmed robots. Unable to express the depth of love because we could not express hate. That's what it would mean to stop evil. Now the question is, do you really want that? Evil was not God's original plan. Yes, because God is all-knowing. He would have known that evil would result from free choices accordingly. He created the possibility of evil, but not evil itself. Read Genesis 1-3. to And you'll see that evil is in the world because as fallen creatures, we are the agents in part who brought it about. God knew before the foundation of time and space that evil would come about as a result of creating people capable of the moral ability to choose good and evil. God knew that all along. It is our nature. Yet it is, it is the nature of people. It is our nature to question and seek to understand what may be ununderstandable. And so we come up with the classic question. Why would a loving God allow evil? If God exists and He is love, then why, why shouldn't He do something about evil? There should be no evil if He's a God of love. Or why doesn't He just put a cap on it? We ask that all the time, don't we? We pray about that. Lord, please put a cap on evil. It's getting out of control. What we do not understand is God's perspective and the perspective of eternity. You see, it's not logical to assume that something that is contradictory to our mindset of God is contradictive of God Himself. Remember, God is eternal and beyond our comprehension. We can only know God by how much He chooses to reveal Himself to us through His Word. The justice of God is in the scope of eternity. It is not in our time frame. Nor should it be evaluated by our limited reasoning. Remember, God is still in control. Regardless of how rampant evil may be in the world, we need to be mindful of the fact that God is still in control. And by His sovereignty, He permits suffering and evil. However, at the same time, he keeps it under his control. God wins out. Evil does not get off on a technicality or get an early pardon. Sin and evil will be judged. God will see to it. Paul, in writing young Timothy, he says, The sins of some are obvious, going before them into judgment. But for others, they show up later. And we see that all around us. How many times have you wondered, a criminal commits a crime, he goes before the courts, and he gets out on bail. And he says, Lord, what's happening? God says, don't worry about it. Or someone does something, and they don't even get before the courts for doing it. And he says, well, Lord, what's happening? They're getting away with murder. They're getting away with this. They're getting away with that. What does Paul say? Don't worry about it. For others, their sins will show up later. God has got him in check. 
Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin starting with the house of God. And if it starts with us, what will be the fate of those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? God has evil in check. It's not out of control. But we need to be mindful of the fact that God is not only a merciful God, but He's also a just God. Evil will not go unpunished. On the other hand, and this is something that we probably don't like, those who do repent of evil will be declared innocent. Now that's a scary thought because you can think of some criminals who have committed violent and vicious crimes against humanity. Families have been ripped apart and stressed out over what they've done. And God says, if they repent, I'll declare them innocent. God says so. This may not be the answer of why a person loses a child or a sister is abused or a friend is having serious problems. For these, I don't have the answers. But I do have the comfort that when I go through such situations that God is there. He is in control. He takes my sin and reconciles me to Himself. And in the midst of my misdeeds and sin, and the sin of others against me, God is there for me and He'll be there for you too. If God ended evil, and its continuance, how would we grow and mature? Consider Joseph, an arrogant teen, whose brothers betrayed him. He was sold into slavery and encountered dishonesty. In the midst of striving to be honest, he received betrayal. He lost his family and his friends, and he was put in jail in a foreign land, had no hopes of ever seeing his family ever again. Yet, you know what the Bible tells us? God used it for good. All the evil that happened to Joseph, God used it for good. Now, if for the sake of argument, Joseph had never gone through what he went through, he would not have matured emotionally and spiritually. The famine would have hit and his family would have been devastated. They would have starved to death. But Joseph did grow in character and maturity. He grew beyond his own imagination. And God used him to save his people from utter disaster. If Joseph had not gone through what he did, he would not have grown out of his arrogance. Just imagine what Joseph would have been like if he had gone to Egypt with the arrogant attitude that he had when he was home. You see, arrogance doesn't save people. Arrogance cannot save people. All arrogance does is elevate self without merit. Joseph would have been no good to his family or anybody else if he had gone into Egypt with his arrogance. The greatest triumph of good versus evil is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. The Lord's victory on the cross. Thus evil may not be God's original plan, but it is what is partially used now to create the ultimate good. Still asking why God allows evil? 
We are not to seek suffering. This doesn't mean that we should seek suffering in order that we may benefit from it. But what it does mean is we need to be prepared when it comes, and it will come. Be prepared by faith and handle it with the diligence and faith that God provides. Seeking our Lord's help, not our own feelings and our own ideas or those of others. The result is how God of, how this God of grace that we serve and that we love weaves His love and plan of redemption through our sin and misplaced priorities and give us reconciliation, redemption and hope. Still asking why does God allow evil? Well, we can take comfort in the fact that we are not alone in the world of suffering and evil that we face. God is there. And He's carrying us through. He's carrying and equipping us through the evil circumstances and situations that we face. The question is, how are we allowing His work in us to work? Or are we so focused on the anger and bitterness that all we see is the evil situation in our midst? If the latter is so, how are you going to grow? How are you going to mature? How are you going to grow and overcome? If all we have is the bitterness that evil brings into our lives. Yes, bad things will still happen to you and to me because of the evil all around us. But in the grand scheme of things, you know what? That is no comparison to what God has stored up for us in eternity. Think about that. So now that we've established that God does allow evil and why He provides evil and why evil exists and what causes evil, the other question we must answer is, how do I respond to evil? What do I do about it? You know what causes it, why it's here, why you got to go through it. What do, you, what do you do about it? Well, the Bible tells us the opposite of evil is goodness. Praise the Lord. Goodness. Amos says, hate evil and love good. Matthew says, in everything treat others as you would want them to treat you. For this fulfills the whole law and the prophets. Dr. Luke says, but I say to you who are listening. That's us, right? He says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. Peter says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So we see why good and why evil is in the world. It is an engagement of love. Goodness is an engagement of love. It displays integrity. It displays honesty. It displays compassion to others and allows us to, to do the right thing. We have so many people in our world today doing the wrong thing. And sometimes we suffer for it. Goodness takes our virtue and excellence and models it, models it to others in the action of love. It is doing the right thing even when it does not feel like we should. That's what goodness is. Even though Joseph was betrayed and sold as a slave, yet he chose to make good of his situation by helping and treated, uh, treating others better than he needed to. He didn't have to. But he chose to do so. Goodness is also a model for people to see Christ at work in us. And that's good. Because the result is that they will want to repent 
and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. And isn't that the reason why we're here anyway? To lead others to Jesus Christ. So we counter the evil. We counter the evil with goodness. To be good, we have to have a renewed nature and a mindset from our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us up, calls us to an entirely different perspective and outlook on life. We are to be good, not because being good is going to make us commendable to others, but because God has been good to us, isn't He? Hasn't God been good to you? You're here because of the goodness of God. God has defeated evil. And so why would any rational person would seek failure unless he or she is as deluded as Satan is? God says good impacts evil in a way that is good for the kingdom of God. Being good will help us to be patient. It will help us to be kind and understanding and forgiving of others. It will be the fruit that helps us build each other up, build up the church, reach the communities, restore relationships, and seek the best in all that we do. That's how we counter evil. It is excellence in action. It is what builds great societies, and its absence is what causes the collapse of societies into debauchery. In addition, goodness, in addition to goodness, we should also be looking at the bigger picture. How we can learn through the evil experiences and encounters that we have. How we can build relationships through those experiences. How we can model Christ and His character through encounters and evil relationships and encounters with others around us. When we focus on the situation that evil brings into our lives and not on Jesus Christ, we will experience hardships and suffering for no reason at all. And it's meaningless. Why go through it? When all we do is seek revenge and bitter and become bitter over a situation, it will cause us to lose our freedom and become despondent. How many people are, have lost their freedom today because they are angry and bitter over a situation that evil has brought into their lives and exposed them to? They don't have any peace. But here's a point I want us to ponder today. Whenever you are mistreated by evil, take this challenge of our Lord. Seek ways to turn it around. Can you do that? Seek ways to turn it around. To overcome evil with good. And to turn unrighteousness into relationships. We had a situation one time where one of our groups went downtown. Took a busload of uh, kids downtown to go to a restaurant. And a couple of guys accosted them with some knives and guns to rob them. And the leader of the group walked out to, jumped out of the van and, and walked up to the guy and says, Hi, my name is Dan. How, what can I do for you? The robbery was foiled. He turned unrighteousness into a relationship. When we focus on Christ, we will succeed in growth. We will succeed in maturity, in character, and the building of relationships. You know what revenge does? Revenge and resentment will only cause despair. It will cause stress and isolation and broken relationships. That's what revenge causes. That's what, what happens when we respond to evil with evil. We can also overcome evil with love. Bible says that we are to love our enemies. 
If we follow Christ, we will gain enemies who will want to destroy us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But we are called to do a difficult thing. One that is completely opposed to our fallen human thinking and culture. And that is not pay back evil for evil. That's tough, isn't it? That's hard. Because whenever someone do you something wrong, you want to get them back, don't you? You want to make them hurt worse than they have made you hurt. We have the tit-for-tat mentality. Whenever someone do us wrong, I'm going to get them back. Tit-for-tat, butter-for-fat, you kill my dog, I'm going to kill your cat. That's the mentality we have. God says that's not the mentality we ought to have in a world that is fluctuated with evil. It's the first thought that comes to our minds. God even calls us to bless people who hate us. That's not easy. So we have to find a way to reorganize our thinking. Reorganize our thinking so that we can, we can adopt these challenging precepts of God's word and apply them to our lives. Our response to our enemy, both secular and apostate or backslidden Christian or whatever you want to call them, is to love them. If you're experiencing hate, the one thing that hurts most is someone coming to you in love. Why? Because conviction is very painful. And it's something we don't want to yield to. Love is to be our revenge. Because it has the greatest sting. Not only that, but it has the greatest positive effect. When we turn our enemy into a friend, we have, we have made an incredible, we have won an incredible battle and prevented a future war. We are to turn strife into incredible, incredible blessings that will not only bless our lives, but bless the lives of those around us. God will allow our enemies to teach you some things about yourself that you will not even know because your enemy will know you better than you know yourself. That's how we are to respond. Now, although our hope is eternity, and this life that we, this world is just a temporary home, it doesn't mean that we need to misbehave. God wants us to do the best that we can possibly do while we're still here, so that when we leave, we will leave a legacy behind. Notice what Peter says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul, and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians, so that though they may malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when He appears. That's how God wants us to behave. We must not have a desire to use revenge in order to get even. Someone said, before you seek revenge, you better, be, you better dig two graves. Because you're going down too. Before we seek revenge, we ought to respond to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to do the opposite of our feelings and the ways of the world. He said, love them back instead of trying to get payback. Jesus also continuously talks about persecution that we'll face in the world. And we are to love others in the characters of love as Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. Real love is measured by what it costs us, not by what we get from it. This is how we respond to the evil around us. Rather than asking, why does God allow it? God says, this is how I want you to respond to it. We are to bless them with this form of love. 
that shows kindness and self-giving, which comes from the teachings, the examples, the character, and the ways that Jesus acted toward those who persecuted Him. That's how He wants us to respond. And the Bible says we have to pray for them, not about them. How many times do you pray about them? God says, don't pray about them. Don't pray about how bad they are. Pray for them. Don't pray that God will get them back because of what they did to you. Rather pray that God will change their heart toward Him and respond to His perfect will. And this is much more pious than, than what the Old Testament saints had. Proverbs chapter 25 tells us to overcome evil with good. Why? Because it totally disorientates those who hurt us. Sending them into, into chaos and confusion until they are convicted or fall deeper into sin and eventual death. This is our wake-up call to the evil around us. Doing good is the best revenge. It lets, our own, it lets their own misdeeds haunt them. But it does something else. It lets the perfect judge deal with them and not you. We are not to be uncaring. Why does God allow evil? Because it's the opposite of goodness. And since God is good, the more evil exists, the more the character of God's goodness should prevail and emanate from our own lives. So what does God say? He says, hate evil and do good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. Turn away from evil and do good. Pursue peace. Seek peace. And pursue it. So let me ask you the question again. When it comes to evil, what will your actions and mindsets, will your actions and mindsets line up with God's precepts? Will you model the character and fruit to which He has called you to? What will you do about evil? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you have not taken evil out of the world, but you have allowed it to remain, to exist, so that we could demonstrate the goodness of your character and allow it to impact evil in a way that will draw others to the kingdom of God rather than repel them away from you. We pray, Father, that as we leave this place today, that you will challenge our hearts to do what we need to do individually as well as collectively about the evil situations that we encounter and that we counteract them with the love of God. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.